doing the Camino de, de Santiago. I was in the middle of Spain, walking from the south of France to the other side of Spain. And I listen to your podcast every day. I picked one. I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. Later this month, Access Youth Academy will celebrate the grand opening of its new academic squash center in southeast San Diego. The 22,000 square foot, $12.5 million facility has eight squash courts, including one doubles court. An open, open air, open design. It's amazing because this is, after all, Southern California. Four classrooms and 36 parking spots because this is, after all, Southern California. Founded in 2006, Access is an after-school youth enrichment program based around squash, and it's the first of its kind from the American West in the Squash and Education Alliance's global network. The motto of Access is potential made powerful. One example of that we heard in episode 23 of Outside the Glass. We talked with Access's, one of Access's more well-known graduates, Raina Pacheco. That episode remains one of our most talked about ever, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. The center is also a core member of the Community Squash Initiative, U.S. Squash's new national program, which is based at the Arlen Specter U.S. Squash Center. And here you'll learn more about how Access will teach squash to literally thousands of kids each year. Renato Paiva has been on a remarkable journey. He grew up in Brazil, trained as a top junior in Canada and England, and then came to the U.S. as a college graduate. After some stints as a paper salesman, a soccer referee, an assistant squash coach at Harvard, and perhaps most notably as a mascot at Disneyland, Renato arrived in 2007 at what was then a brand new program called Surf City Squash. In just over 14 years, he's helped transform the program, Squash in California, in the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people, including me. Do small things every day for a long period of time. That is what Renato tells the students in Access Youth Academy. And he's followed his own advice and that is what has led to the opening of one of the most exciting squash facilities in the world. Okay, here we are with Renato Paiva um, out in San Diego. Uh, and Renato, um, let's uh, start a little bit with your background in squash and, and how you started playing. And, and uh, uh, you, you've told me some colorful story, stories about uh, Brazilian squash uh, back in the day. So, um Tell, tell me how you got going in in, in the game of uh, squash. Sure, um, I I'm from Brazil. I'm from a uh, actually born in a um, in a smallish town with about three million people, which is not that small, but I guess in Brazil can be um, about an hour and a little bit from São Paulo. Um, that's where I first picked up my first racket was in São Paulo. My mom, my dad, my dad, they were divorced. My dad was having a squash lesson. During a water break, I nine-year-old sneaked into a squash court and hit my first ball and my second and my third. And my dad's coach said, yeah, this kid's been playing for long. And that was my first time. So I gave up the good old soccer back home. As I'm a Brazilian, you should play soccer. That is very hard to do to to abandon soccer. Um, did did your friends kind of give you grief about uh, giving up the beautiful game, or what happened? They still do. They still do. 
So then I, I went back home, and luckily, I got real lucky because my my mom, my original home back in my uh, in my the town I was living, they um, there's a squash club two blocks away from it, and that was the first luck. I think to be able to play the squash at a good enough level, many many moments in your life you're going to get lucky, and that was my first luck. Um, I started became the good old squash rat, as they call us back in Brazil. Every break of every court, you sneak in, you hit a few shots until you get kicked out for the next guy that's playing. I started having my squash lessons back home. Um, by the age of 10, I realized I wanted to play the sport. I felt really I felt happy about hitting a rubber ball against the wall. Then I moved to Sao Paulo, um, and my dad was in Sao Paulo, and he and he gave me the chance to be playing with the, uh, the, the well-known Kiko Frizzoni. Kiko, for the folks that remember uh, South American squash, Kiko was, I think, 40 in the world, something like this, but he's a big guy, um, the pioneer of squash really in our country. He was my coach since the age of 10, um, so he gave me the tools to compete at a high level, like, you know, played some Brazilian championships in state and South American and Pan American juniors. Um, I was very fortunate at the age of 12, my dad, I met a guy called Saber Butt. Saber was top 20 in the world. He was Gary Waite's big rival in Canada for many years. Um, Saber played at the uh, ISPA, back then ISPA tournament and in Sao Paulo. We got to know each other. He invited me over to live with him and his family in Mississauga, Canada close to Toronto. Yep. So I yep. moved to Mississauga. I spent amazing months um, with his family twice, actually. I, I stayed there in his, in his house twice by the age of 12 and 13, training wow. with his, his family. That was life-changing. Back then, there was no internet. You didn't know there was no squash skills to learn squash online. You just had to kind of listen and take a leap of faith. Um, and then back home by the age of 14, I took a big gamble and I moved to England, and I spent two years living in Essex uh, with the Golden Boys. So, uh, so Chris Walker, funny enough, Chris Walker was the first time I went close to him. But Chris, and then uh, Dale Harris, and um, Lexington Squash Club was a great place to live and to play at that time. So I moved to Colchester in Essex, and I lived there for two years. Did my GCSE in England, improved to improve my English, learn to speak English, uh, played squash. That was my life. I played squash and I, and I studied. Who, who were you training with? Who, who was the, your coach? Um, so it's a funny story. I was a shooter. I've always been a shooter. I mean, we're Brazilians. We like to have flair in our game. Um, <laughs> but I go home, and I was multi-time national, uh, national champion and, and South American champion. And then comes this guy. My coach's name was Robin Godden. Uh, and Robin was one of the coaches at Lexington, and he said, "You just squash sucks. You got to hit straight, and you got to hit better." <laughs> and we spent a couple months arguing, and then I gave up. I said, "You know what? I'll do that. I'll hit straight as much as you want, but after I master your straight drive, allow me to choose how I want to play." We made a deal. So after a while, I could do both fairly well, and that's why I think it was another moment of luck in my life. I had a chance to learn the to play the squash properly, I would say, the way, like, really traditional, old school, and they allowed me to run more, get a little bit stronger um, when I came back home. So then I, 
I played a couple of British Open juniors. I played a lot of the, these tournaments. Um, came back home at the age of 16. I was playing ISPA events at that time. I made a couple of main draws. It was was good life. Um, and then yeah. I had to move out of Sao Paulo. And then I uh, basically went to a place called Salvador Bahia, which is the north east of Brazil. There was one squash court, basically a San Diego of Brazil. Right. Which was which was the best um, uh, learning curve for me to eventually learn how to develop squash. Not myself anymore, but squash as, as a game. And then I start coaching one student and two and three and develop the whole area once upon a time. Yeah, you told you told me about that once. I remember years ago about uh, moving to that town and uh, and developing um, developing the the program and 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 you you know you only had one court. Is that right? Yeah, and the first court I played. This is a fun, this is listen to the listeners. Don't don't think Brazil is that bad. But that court had a pillar behind the service box. I'm not joking you. There was a pillar behind the service box. So that's how undeveloped that place was. And then there was a country club, a British country club, the golf that put two squash courts, and then this, mm. the world started for me there. It was a great learning curve. Um, I still Now that uh, Salvador has four squash clubs, things are moving. Very similar to what's happening in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. No, amazing. Uh, yeah, you described that court. I remember that with the with the pillar. That so that must have been a little awkward if you um, you weren't looking where you were going. And, and no one knew better. I'm thinking, guys, right. you cannot have a pillar in the middle of the court. <laughs> Surreal. Um. So eventually, you 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 uh, uh, decided to move to the states. How how did how did that? Uh, what what year what year did you move to the states? Yeah, so then at that point, I remember um, when I was 16, I was a uh, top 10 junior player. I was like, I was doing well enough. So my, my era was uh, Amr Shabana, Adrian Grant. Um, mm. So I'm an Ali Twamenen. All these guys were my age group. <clears throat> yeah. But then um, Saber is the one that pulled me aside at 16 and said, hey, Renato, listen, go to college, man. Don't just be, keep playing squash. Do yeah. Develop yourself as a human being, and you have more options. And I, so I did. I went back up north, as I told you. Um, then I was just developing sport and going to school. I did my undergrad in business. Right. And then right. I, I moved. I moved away. I started working um, as a tennis pro in an island. I joined a resort called Club Med. I became yeah. one of the Club Med teaching tennis pros. Um, met my wife in the Bahamas working for Club Med. Then we had to make a choice. Where will we leave? Live, live in the U.S. or live in Brazil? Came to the U.S., got married. Um, what am I going to do in the U.S., Jim? I, I don't know what to do. So let's play a squash tournament. And they gave me a – I won a squash tournament in Orange County. Then I started coaching one person. That became 10, and that became 30. And then I was invited by Satinder Bajwa. Bajwa was the head coach of Harvard back then. Yeah. I used to be – the guy that carried John Scher's bags in the British Opens when I was in England. Yeah. So, yep. so Bob said, yep. hey, I, I know you. Let me come over and teach a, a summer camp with us. And yep. then I was teaching a camp with Baj and Mo. And then they offered me a job. I became the assistant coach at Harvard. And I think from unemployed to coach at Harvard, things move a little fast after that. 
I, I, it's funny. It's funny because when the Lady Baj hired me, he said, "You have no idea what this uh, um, job will do to your career." I said, oh, "I have no idea." You're right, and he did open all the doors possible. Um, Harvard was fantastic for me. Yeah. At that point, Jim, that comes, I think, another pivotal moment in my life. I was coaching the Harvard Yale match at the Merce Center, and then I was all suit and tie, thinking I'm doing a good job and looking cool. This guy leans in with a voice and says, Renato, you were in the wrong job. And that was the, only, the one and only Greg's ass. He pulls me aside and says, listen, mate, this is not for you. Go do something else with your life. Gave me his card, and I went to, to Squash Buster to see what he's all about. And that um, gave me goosebumps all over, and I came back home to my wife, Kim, and I said, Kim, I think I found my, my calling. And then I was looking for a way to do ur- urban squash tents that, that day. Greg shared the history but didn't give me a job. Thank you, Greg. Um, <laughs> so... So luckily, there's some great folks here in San Diego that was thinking about putting an urban squash program in San Diego, Blair Sadler, Greg Sherman, and many others. So I, um, they put an ad, say we're looking for someone to run it. I put my hand way up high, and they they hired me, and that's 15 years ago. That was 2007? That was 2006 and seven. Yeah, six was the beginning of the whole process. Seven is when I began the, right. the job. And how long were you at Harvard for? Two seasons. Two seasons. And how long before you were at Harvard were you, like, floating around trying to figure out something to do in the States? Oh, my God. I cannot tell you. I had, I'll tell you three of my jobs prior to Harvard. Raise yourself. Yeah. Number one, I was cold calling, selling paper materials from door to door. You know those guys go cold calling door to door? I did that. Horrible job. Me, Very hard w- job. W- w- was this kind of like uh, the office, you know, selling paper? Yes, I was selling paper. And by the way, there was there was insane trying to get any job I could get. That was the first one. Did not love that. That didn't last too long. The second one was in club managed a lot of shows in, on stage, so I, I was okay on stage. So I auditioned for Disneyland. I was Tigger in Disneyland. That's my number two. How 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 long did how long were you, were you Tigger? You were you, you you pass auditions and then you just kind of be on their on their thing. It's the mm-hmm. most uh, long audition you can even imagine because you got to dance and you got to learn how to do the mask because your nose is all the way up here, and it's um, I was my second job, but you very uh, un, you don't get scheduled often. Then I took my third job, which I was a soccer referee. <laughs> It's in, 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 Southern, in, in Southern California. In Southern California, I just I yeah. I knew how to play soccer ref, so I I took these three jobs and thinking this is not gonna be my American dream. I gotta do something better <laughs> than this. Well, I, I beg your differ. I think the Tigger, the Tigger part of it that that is the American dream, right? You're at Disneyland. This is like this, this is a good life. Yeah, it has to be through your height. So if I was a little taller, I was goofy. If it was a little, uh, I was Donald Duck. That's how it goes. It was. It, it wasn't a personality thing. Like that you're good at bouncing, or uh... <laughs> nah, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a choice. Wow. I, I wish. Uh, I wish we had photographs uh, of you uh, dressed as Tigger. That would be. Um, yes. 
Yes, yeah, that would be amazing. Well, I, I think that goes to show uh, a little bit, Renato, about uh, resilience and grit. And, you know, I think some people kind of uh, see their lives in this sort of linear fashion, right? And, um, you know, uh, kind of like you just go from one thing to another and it all makes sense. And, like, you you had to kind of wend your way a little bit. And, and, and it wasn't always so obvious, you know, where you were going to end up. No, yeah, and it's I, you know, I keep now that I am I'm lucky enough to work with with young young people, I keep telling them keep keep your your um, your antennas really aware of what's happening because and you're gonna follow your gut. It's not about money. It's not about this. It's about what you really want to do. And I squash has always been my 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 compass. I always go back to squash. Um, mm. But urban squash is new for all of us. I mean, especially for us, not in the East coast of the 25 years ago, it was kind of new. And, and that was a made sense for me. It made a lot of sense for me. And I it really, really, I come to work every day, Jim, thinking about how passionate I love doing this. I mean, it's kind of so visceral and so alive in my, in my bones still. So still 15 right. years into it, I still love it. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. It was interesting how Greg kind of saw that in you, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, uh, um, you weren't destined to be a, a college coach, um, yeah. but you were sort of destined to be a uh, urban squash leader. Every single time, Jim, every, I, I graduate a class, which, by the way, is going to happen this Friday. We graduate our uh, seventh class, eighth class, or something like this. I call every time I go back home, I call Greg Zaff on my way back home to thank him for giving me the first chance to do this. Every single year, I call him back. Wow. That's cool. So tell tell me, uh, what was the state of Access Academy when you uh, Access Youth Academy when you arrived? Um, it, it, it was called Surf City Squash. Yes, it's called Surf City Squash. So I was, I was living in Orange County with my in-laws. I was living in Laguna Beach, so I drove our I'm a little bit down here. My first day at work, I'm yes, they gave me the job. I walk into San Diego Squash, which was we we were there for so many years at the beginning. Greg Sherman used to work there. He was a founder. So I said, Greg, he, I'm here, 8 o'clock in the morning, ready to work. He goes, he gave me the, the bank card, said there's some money here in the bank for access, uh, for, for service squash then. And he said, um, good luck. And I said, yeah, but what do I do? <laughs> he goes, that's what we hired you for. You go figure it out. Um, so... Then I, that day, I, I'm in the middle of a squash for no office, no nothing. So I went to Ikea. I bought a desk. I put the desk together. I put it behind a rack of clothes. And I sat there until 5 p.m. thinking, what have I done? I left Harvard to do this. So then the day, I booked a trip back to Boston. I went back to see Greg's ass. I said, Greg, now you teach me how to run this thing now. And so Greg spent a week with me teaching me the in and out. Uh, it was zero. We had no no partnerships with schools. We had no students. We had nothing. Um, so start to oh, I thought the program to... had had been kind of going at a small level. You actually didn't even have the kids yet. No kids. No tryouts. No no nothing. Zero. Um, so it was basically ground zero. Um, in a partnership with the school and run some tryouts and got some balls donated and so forth and. And then the first class, we took 18 kids. Um, 
including uh, some kids that went to, to play some good squash in the future. Uh, and then we went hard at it. We just really got a great class. And that beginning, that was the beginning of Access Youth Academy. Amazing. Really amazing. So tell me about the name change. Um, Surf City Squash had a nice uh, alliteration and, and uh, kind of gives off, evokes this image of, I don't know, you know, that we're all surfing in the morning and playing squash in the afternoon. So t- tell me how the uh, the brand got, got shifted a bit. Yes, despite how much my board here, bless said, loves the name and the colors. He loves orange and blue. Um, mm. Surf City Squash did not really re- represent us the way we wanted to. Uh, we are not the Surf City. Uh, Surf City, uh, there's a couple of the cities in the county, in the state, they are called Surf Cities. We don't yep. surf. And Squash in our name was the biggest thing that was, a, uh, the biggest change was removing Squash from our name. Um which were the first one to be removed completely. Um, we mm-hmm. want to access the word access tells so much about what we want to do. Yeah. But access was taken access uh, only it was taken as a nonprofit in the in, in this country. So we like um, the academy component to it, get a little bit of uh, the uh, educational piece. But then we end up being Access Youth Academy, and then we change the colors and the logo. The year, I just have to say the year we did this is the year that we raised the most money until at that point. So I think it gave a little um, better chance for us to – and here in San Diego, Jim, we don't, we don't base our, our networking and our, our philanthropy in squash at all because there's not much squash here yet. Right. So taking the, the squash out of the name actually helped us a lot which is another way to – another angle for urban squash programs to fundraise if you're not in a big market. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, I mean, squash, as you say, back then, it was pretty obscure for Southern California, particularly south of L.A. There, there you know, wasn't a lot going on. So, how, how you know, I think a lot of urban programs, we, you know, we're, we're trying to introduce a game to – families that have never heard of it and you know that has to be even harder in san diego so tell me about about that about uh you know sort of building up squash and getting getting the kids excited about a sport they've never heard of yeah this is um is always so unique i just we do a uh, we go to schools to say who wants to try out for this program who knows what squash is i've never got one kid to me what squash is ever in 15 years ever right so, but then I go, but I lead with now, I lead, who wants to go to college? All the hands go up. Great. We can help you with that. The way we help you with that is with a very unique sport, and then I, I always bring a rack and a ball, and I bounce the ball around and get them excited. Um, the unique thing about squash, and that goes back to me when I was a kid back in Sao Paulo, or maybe mm. you when you, were, when you were growing up. We are always the non-popular kids. Always. doesn't matter what we are. And that's something that I think makes us closer. We understand that by playing squash, we're no, no popular. We're not, we're not the, the basketball players or the soccer players. Or, and that's yeah. something that I actually appreciate. And I use our advantage to recruit kids. If you're looking for a family and you haven't found your tribe yet, we are mm. a fantastic tribe. Uh, and, and a lot of kids jump into this. There's a lot of kids not being noticed these days, mm-hmm. Jim. 
And yeah. these kids touch my heart, so I, I feel like we should give them, them a chance. So we always lead with non-squash. And then when they come to play it, they fall in love with the game. Who doesn't? Squash, the yeah. addicting, is as fast as intelligent. So um, then it's just an explosion of excitement when they have a family, they have a tribe, and they love the sport at the same time. Yeah, that's that, that's a great way to describe it. They, they're sort of joining this this you know cult almost, right? It's like this mm-hmm. you know kind of obscure thing that people are obsessed about. What, what's the Portuguese word for for phrase for uh, squash junkie for a squash rat? What what, what did they call you back? Uh, Rato de quadra. Rato de quadra um, is squash rat. <laughs> and, and that's what it is, right? And part of it, as you say, is like. It's not a mainstream, you know, tier one sport that everybody knows of, and in your dime a dozen, it's 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 a little bit uh, more you know, unique. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So what um, uh, the program, uh, despite your leadership, really grew and, and prospered, and and so how how did you do that? Or you know, you you partnered with Blair Sadler and and uh, your board and. And it, 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 it kind of, you know, how did you get to the point where you're like, look, we really have to build a facility? Like, what was that the, yeah. you know, that journey like? So, first of all, I, I, I happen to be leading access, but there is a really an army of people that makes it happen. Not only yeah. the board, our board are 25 board members now and, and growing, um, but also the amount of support through donors and the kids and the family. So, I happen to be talking about it, but it is a decade and a half of a lot of folks working together. Yeah. About 10 years ago, we realized that being playing with a renting space is tough. It caps you in so many ways. And by the idea of building a, a facility in a place like Chicago or Baltimore, it's already a bigger undertaking. Imagine in San Diego, where things are expensive and, and squash is a gamble and uh, but luckily, the board saw the vision. I remember walking to a boardroom one day 10 years ago and saying, hey, guys, time for us to change direction. We've got to go big. Uh, and 10 years ago, we got left in the altar about three times. Deals are made for this. That does not work. We got another big donation. Does not work. Until this one. This one right. was our, our lucky charm, and we purchased a piece of land three three years ago in a neighborhood called Southeast San Diego, which is a, a an area of a lot of need in, in, in town. And then uh, we got the funding. We got a great uh, grant from the city of San Diego for $5.5 million. That really helped us. And as we speak today, uh, the facility opens in about a week and a half. So we are just around the corner to open this 22,000 square feet facility with eight squash courts, including the, the, the first double court in the San Diego County, um, plus four classrooms and office space and 36 spots for, for parking. It's a, on the main drag, on the main avenue of Southeast. We are in a great position to make an impact. Um, but you only took 10 years. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, 10 years, I, I think a lot of people, when they hear about, you know, yo, another urban squash program getting its own facility, and it sort of feels like, ah, oh, they just snap their fingers and, you know, um, happens. Uh, but, but 
uh, it's not just sort of the time, it's the, the, um, the agony, the sort of, you know, the meetings and you, the hopes are really, you know, all, and then it doesn't happen and then you have to regroup. And um, I mean, you had to raise, like, I mean, you, you raised how much money, including the, the five and a half from the city, which is incredible. Everybody's like blown away by that, but you, you had to raise another 5 million or something yourself, right? Yeah, we raised the whole project is closed about 12, 12 and a half. We took a loan, a, a loan to pay for this, but we raised about three million on top of the five and a half. So we raised about eight and a half to just get this thing rolling. Uh, in terms of the resilience behind this, mm. I have to give half of the credit to Blair. Blair Sadler is the most uh, amazing man to work with. The day that I feel like, oh, this is not going to work out, <laughs> he goes, I, yes, you will. And then the day that he goes, Renato, oh, my God, this is going to – yes, you will, Blair. So we 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 talk we say oh when we go for big meetings Jim we say that when we're in the parking lot to walk into a meeting the mindset to this wild wild west walk into a bar we have to shoot everyone win the fight and come back that's how we we, we we put our mindset and Blair is always my guy he comes to every meeting and just nails it he's amazing this guy is a yeah. amazing an amazing board chair. So what, um, what what's happening right now? The 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 uh, you started construction. You started working on this um, uh, just after the pandemic began, right? Um, mm-hmm. So tell me about that and like how how did it go in the last year and a bit to to, to get? To, I mean, it must have been extremely challenging, right? Yeah. Um, so we closed a financial deal. So kind of like we closed our escrow per se, um, beginning of February of last year, which hmm. means that we had the money secure to build it. It's a lump sum project. We knew how much it's going to cost, and now let's get the people building it. Um, yeah. And then the pandemic hit. We think, oh, my God, how are we going to fulfill our obligations? Are we going to be put on hold? But when the world stopped, construction didn't. Because we had the money all secured, we were one of the few projects in town that had the funding to do this. So we actually did this on time and on schedule, which is unheard of of constructions in this caliber. So um, we are, you know, we've we've done what we had we had to do. And COVID was letting people get out of their houses, but the construction was happening. So we were very lucky. One may say that we were lucky that we could keep it going. And now that June 15th is coming up, and this is uh, going to be. Things are going to stop in California June 15th. I think they're going to be all released, all the masks. We opened that week. What an irony that that week is when we open our doors. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, this all happened in the pandemic, you know, going from what what was at the space? It was just an empty lot? Just a lot. There was a, there was a, a basketball court in one corner, and there was just an empty vacant lot. So you, you take an, a, a vacant lot and throughout the whole pandemic and then when the sort of pandemic officially closes or, you know, evolves significantly in California is when you can actually go in and, and play squash. Fantastic. What a dream. Um, so you're having a big celebration uh, in a couple of weeks, um, a gala. Tell, tell me what, what, what's planned for that. Yeah. So we, we soft open mid of June. Um, and we have um, 
we have a couple of exciting things happen. We partner with the, the county for a, um, we, we have three weeks of summer camp for free for the students of uh, uh, San Diego, paid by, by the county. And wow. then uh, on the academic and the, the squash side. And then on one month after, on July uh, 17th, we have our grand opening. And this grand opening should be really exciting. Uh, that's when we really bring all the stakeholders that made this happen and the families. And, and then, it's, then it's really for everyone to enjoy it. And is the facility uh, leading you to expand access? Like, are, are you going to become twice as big, three times as big, eight times as big? Like, what, 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 what's going to happen, you know, more or less come September when, when the school year resumes? No, thanks for asking that. I was hoping you asked for something like that because I have something to share <laughs> with you. So um, our after-school program goes from a class of 10 students per class to about class of 22. So we're going to close to, for sure, double, but potentially get close to triple at some point our after-school program, which mm-hmm. would be fantastic. Those are the kids that we have a 12-year promise to work from the seventh grade all the way to two years post-college. So that's that, which we're very excited about. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the thing that's happening right now, Jim, that I want to share with you and everyone that listens to your podcast is that we have an application with um, with the county of San Diego. They'll be voted tomorrow that we applied for a, a PE program paid by the county. This program will touch 18,000 kids a year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I know it's for us, for us squash, like, oh, excuse me? <laughs> Say it again. Explain this to us. Here it is. We're going to have three blocks of PE sessions or lessons every morning. So think about this. Let's say 9 to 10, block 1, 11 to noon, block 2, whatever, 132, 30, block 3. That's 30 kids per block. So 90 kids a day, you do this um, you know, five times a week, uh, four to four weeks a month, and 10 months a year, do the math, is 18,000 slots. So all the schools in our region can bring their kids to our facility to get a free PE pro, not only playing squash, but we have a very unique way to teach here in San Diego, which is about light, it's fresh, it's uh, engaging. It's not like less. I'm not going to train you to be a national champion now. I want to enjoy how to hit a rubber ball against the wall. And we can do this with yeah. music and smiles and all engaging things. Kids are going to come back, Jim, if it's fun. That's where I think my club many years come into play. Because I taught tennis for yeah. all these people on a fun setting for so many years. I can do this yeah. on the P program. If we do that, Jim... I hope that we can get other counties and cities and states to replicate that because how cool that be we can expose our sport to so many students per year. Um, yeah. And tomorrow, is that when that gets voted, if that happens, the game changer for us access for California, but hopefully for squash as a whole. Yeah, that's incredible. That that idea of, of um, you know using those courts when they're not traditionally as busy um the after school program obviously is sort of after school and 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 is a te- is intensive in the classroom and but you have this incredible facility right that that's that's there and 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 you want to expose it you want to 
people the opportunity to to see the sport, to get exercise, fitness, health, and 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 um, and, and and to be able to. You, you must have such an incredible partnership with this county. I mean, this is just amazing to to have them, you know, give you money and give you kids. I mean, it's the two the two things that help, that are behind every program. Which goes which goes back to um, relationships and and time of work. You, there's been 15 years of us knocking that door. Are we just getting this in the, now? It takes some time. So I urge the, the squash leaders, local leaders, to continue to put in the good work. We tell our students every day when they come to practice, guys, small things every day for a long period of time. That's the formula of success. Right. So we, we we do the same thing here. We you know a donor or a supporter or a county or a mayor or a governor. It takes time, uh, but I think yeah. we're cracking slowly but truly. Incredible. I mean that 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 is the dream. I know George Polsky was doing that at at uh, Street Squash a little bit. You know, trying to have PE uh, be uh, you know an integral part of the of the facility and and having kids come and go. And I, I think. Um, the community squash uh, initiative that U.S. Squash is helping uh, and, and, and access is a part of that, uh, th- that, th- you know, it, it's about, you know, as you say, producing national champions and, and having people fall in love with it, become squash rats. At the same time, it's also about just exposing people of all ages to the game, letting them see it. If they fall in love, that's great. But it, it, even if they just come and, and, and play once a month or once a year, they know about it, and it's it helped, you know, help the game uh, grow. So this is going to be amazing to have have such uh, exposure. Yeah, and this our, our facility is always a hybrid between urban squash and a, a membership club. So in our facility, anyone can join as a member. You can have book lessons and book courts, and there will be mm-hmm. tournaments. There's one tournament, a big one in July. Um, so we are open for business, not only with the youth that we serve in the uh, access program, but also right. anyone in San Diego can become a member with us. And all the revenue that we produce from these activities come back to our program to support more underserved kids. Right, right. Tell, tell me a little bit more about the facility itself, the, the physical part of it. Um, I remember years ago, I first you, you sent me something that was, you know, it, it looked very open. And, you know, it just looked like, well, this facility happens to be in San Diego. Yeah, like, this is like, you know, this is amazing. So, you know, tell me about the sort of the architecture and 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 uh, and how, how different it is. Yeah, so it's an L-shaped facility. Um, and half the, the squash wing, which is the Blair Settler, Blair and Georgia Settler wing, is on the, 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 the corner of the L. And it's – we have – us, a part of six courts side by side. Cortec built these amazing courts for us, um, and then on the on the on the other part is the last singles and the doubles. The coolest thing about the, the, the squash wing is that you take seven steps from the door of the court. If you walk for, forward seven steps, you're outside, and you can sit down on a little table and be outside and have your know, little Gatorade, the breathing fresh air. And then you walk seven steps back, and you're playing your your second game. So that's very unique, which is uh, really the, the in and out of of San Diego, indoor outdoors of San Diego. Uh, it rains yeah. very little here, as everyone knows. 
So we want to maximize this vibrant climate that we have. Um, so that's a very unique yeah. way to, and there's a courtyard in the middle. We have an outdoor gym. So in the morning, the gym is on the parking lot. We open, it's like, it's like container, a beautiful container. We're going to open the, the container up, and then we roll the, the turf out, and we have an outdoor gym because it never rains in San Diego. So we can work out outside, and then at 9 p.m. when the club closes, we roll the turf back in, put it all back in the container, and the, the, the gym is closed. Um, very unique ways. And then we have the, on the other side of the, the facility is uh, basically on the first floor is a mini school with four classrooms. We are partnering with a lot of other nonprofits, Jim, to have them host classes and the activities with us. And then upstairs is our office. Uh, it's, a, it's a well-designed um, facility. It's very uh, California style. So I encourage yeah. all the listeners to Take a long weekend, come play some squash with us. Um, it's very unique and very special. Well, and I, I think uh, something dear to Blair's heart, my heart, a lot of people is doubles, and and so this will be the first court uh, in 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 you know south of LA, um, north of the border. This is going to be a pretty galvanizing uh, part of of you know developing squash in in San Diego. Yeah, we got to grow the doubles game as well. And we plan to have, we just hired a couple of great pros, including Dion Safri, all the way from England. Dion was the top uh, 40 in the yep. world. Yeah, that's Dion great. Dion's an amazing player. Yep. So, um, female coach that has a lot of knowledge to pass, and she's dying yep. to play some doubles too. So, yep. let's get this doubles game growing here. Um, hopefully, you can come down. We can play some as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's going to be. Uh, an amazing um, tra- transformation, you know, it sounds like for that neighborhood, I mean, of people who can walk to the facility and then for California, I mean, I already know a couple squash teams, college squash teams are like, yep, our, our you know, our winter trip is going to be to uh, San Diego. I mean, I think you're going to be inundated with uh, visitors in December and January every winter. I mean, it's going to be pretty, pretty incredible. I hope so. I can't wait to, to see that the teams having a trip here and get, see our youth, seeing them train. It's always exciting when they come up and we see them yeah. them, them train. Uh, and this mm. is in the middle of the community that, in, that it's, not, it's not La Jolla, it's not Del Mar. This is southeast. So to have this beacon of light, beacon of hope, uh, but also professionalism and experience in southeast, it means a lot to us. Uh, it's not that we managed to pull this up in a fancy place in La Jolla. No, no, this is in southeast San Diego. For the folks that do not know our region, when you land in, in down, our airport in the middle of downtown, it's only five-minute uh, ride inland to our facility. So you can easily access our facility from, from downtown. It's really well, well placed. You'll be very exciting, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. How far to the uh, the beach is the facility? About eight minute drive. Oh, so far. God. So far. Huh? <laughs> uh, it's it's um, Renato. It's been great to watch the journey and and you know talk to you and Blair and uh, obviously some of your uh, you know graduates as 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 the program sort of evolves and. And now you're at this at this moment this summer where you're, you know, everything's just gonna 
blow up. It's incredible. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a big journey. Um, I do want to say that I still got I feel that access and myself and my work is part of a bigger movement and the movement of, of squash, not only uh, through uh, SCA, through Tim and, and the, the folks at SCA, but also with U.S. squash. Our sport is a sport that needs more space and more eyes, and I think we are a small part of it. Um, I, I, the organism is much bigger than us, so I, I'm glad that we're making a contribution to it. But it's still got maybe 25, 25 more years of work to make it really a dent into what we want to do. And then after, in 25 years, are you going to go back to soccer and, uh, and, and maybe coach the, the Brazilian uh, national team? Um, maybe. Do, 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 they need to, do they need your help? <laughs> I just want to see my three daughters grow and, and be happy. I have three girls that do not play squash, but it's been a, it's been a really yeah. fun ride, my friend. I think the American dream, dream despite of the, the, the rough start, has been fantastic to me. Yeah, well, you can fall back on the Tigger thing. I think that that that, that still has potential. <laughs> Not sure if can move that, that fast anymore, but I'll, I'll try. <laughs> All right, Renato. Well, uh, congratulations. It's um, it's very, really, really inspiring, and and it's it's great to talk to you and hear hear now hear about your uh, your journey towards uh, you know this summer and and uh, you know it's a real a real new chapter starting, and it's uh, it'll be exciting to watch. I uh, thank you. I appreciate your, your help. You've always been very um, in touch with us. I want to say one last thing. When the mm. pandemic hit, the beginning of March, I think I mentioned this to you via email first. I was I I was doing the Camino de Santiago. I was in the middle of Spain, walking from the south of France to the other side of Spain, and I listened to your podcast every day. <laughs> I picked one. I started with the Rainus podcast episode, and I one by one until until they kicked me out because COVID hit Spain. So you got to get out. So just for me to be invited to talk to your podcast means a lot to me, and I appreciate you giving me that chance to share a little bit more. I, I Renata, I, I I remember talking to you after you got back and and being a, a, amazed at your um you know that uh, the pandemic sort of caught everybody in different places and you know different phases of their life or whatever. And, and you, uh, you know, doing the pilgrimage, um, and, uh, and, and, and sort of, yeah, getting caught out halfway and, and having to, having to get home before you couldn't get home. And, and, uh, so that, that was amazing. The fact that you were listening to outside the glass, you know, um, you know, I guess that, that helped pass the, uh, pass the time and, and, uh, I mean, get you closer to your destination. Sweet. Yeah. You're right. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe somebody else is uh, going to be out on the pilgrimage uh, soon, and they can they can listen to this. And, and if you well. are, keep listening. Keep listening. It's awesome. <laughs> Outside the glass, would like to thank our producer Grant Irving and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll. <laughs>